your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Ryan Lambert. Ryan, what's going on, man? Well, I'm hanging in there. What's up with you? Oh, we can do, well, we can improve that. We can do better than just hanging in there, right? We can, we can get to at least, uh, oh, we're doing pretty good. Fingers crossed. Yes. Well, let's see how, let's see how today's show goes. So we're going to, we're going to eventually open up the mailbag and, uh, you know, it's something we typically reserve for Friday shows here in the PDO cast, but why not do it on, on this Thursday? So you and I are going to have some fun with that. Let the listeners guide the conversation and, uh, and yeah, and then we're gonna do it again tomorrow. So with another guest, so people can keep sending the questions in on Twitter, email, or wherever you prefer. But let's, uh, I really wanted to talk to you before we start the listener questions about the Nashville Predators here today, actually, because you wrote about them recently on EP Ringside. And I was just telling you before we went on air that in my prep for today's show, I went back and rewatched the most recent game they played on Tuesday night against the Seattle Kraken and was absolutely flabbergasted by what I was seeing out there. So I wanted to get into it with you here. So let's just, let's, let's see where this conversation takes us. Let's start talking about the Predators and, and see how far we get. Uh, sure, yeah. So what, 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 since you did write about them, I'll, I'll give you the floor here to, to start in terms of your, your thoughts on what we're seeing them from them this season where, you know, they start out the season in Prague, I believe, playing against the Sharks. They win those two games. They come back since then. They're 3-7-1. and one. They've got a negative 10 goal differential. All their 5-on-5 metrics are, are reasonable enough, but when you watch this team play, it's such an underwhelming group. So uh, where do we go with them in terms of like what we're seeing from them this season? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you would have said about the same for a lot of the stuff you just said for them last year. They they weren't uh, they weren't like setting the world on fire or anything like that, but they looked like a very competent team. Um, and I think they got into the playoffs by a point or two. Um, but that was with you know a, an unbelievable season from Yossi Saros and uh, a couple of guys, Matt Duchesne being the most obvious. Um, really having just kind of uh, outsized production, like way more than you would have expected, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, yeah, they added Nino Niederreiter, who I think you and I are both big fans of, right? Um, but other than that, like, I don't feel like they did anything that really made me say, well, you know, they're ready to take a step here. They, I feel like they, they kind of just decided to tread water even and – uh, they added Ryan McDonough, too. That's another guy I yes. feel like is worth mentioning. Um, well, here's the thing, He did though. not look good in his most recent game. No, <laughs> no, he did not. Well, here's the thing. I was actually reasonably optimistic, not necessarily for them taking the next step this season, but they finished last year with 97 points. They yeah. had Niederreiter and McDonough without really subtracting anything from the roster. I believe the only sort of regular player that's missing is Luke Cunning, who they like, who they traded right. to, to San Jose, and I don't think that's a loss by any means. And so I yeah. think it was reasonable to look at this group and say, well, they're not necessarily going to take another step, but I'm expecting them to flirt with potentially 100 points, something in the low to mid-90s at least, and we'll see. There's still a lot of season left, but nothing I've seen so far this year would, would really inspire confidence that that's going to be the case. Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, you know, they like they they barely made the playoffs last year with uh, as much as I think Yossi Saros is an awesome goalie and he's not going to be eight ninety or whatever he is uh, forever. Um, it, it's just a situation where 
if you're going, oh, we absolutely need to get top-notch goaltending all year and have a couple of guys like, you know, uh, not it's not just Duchesne. Like, um, they had a... Uh, they had a big season from Tanner Janot last year when it comes to putting the puck in the net. And yep. like he was like 25 goals or something like that. And so you just look at it and you go, Oh, they needed like a lot of stuff to come together really well for them to barely make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, Roman Yossi, ha- you know, I, I, again, I think he, he's awesome, obviously, but is he a 96 point uh, player all season? But like, you know, is driving a lot of their, uh, their power play success. I, I you know, I, again, kind of unrepeatable to me a little bit. Yeah. So. Well, here's the key stat. They're 24th in team shooting percentage of the season, 19th in save percentage. And the reason why I mention mm-hmm. that is because you hit the nail on the head there. Last year, they were 6th and 12th in those categories. And that's kind of the crux of this, right? From the goaltending yep. perspective, I expect UC Soros is going to be better. Honestly, you know, the first goal he gave up against the Kraken in that game I was referencing, he just missed the puck and it went through him. Otherwise, it's pretty tough to blame him on anything happening in front of him. They rely on him so much to basically just bail everyone out with his acrobatics and his athleticism. And I think it's possible that last year he just kind of, he spoiled us into thinking that that was just a regular thing to expect from him. When in reality, it was a real Herculean effort from him. And especially with the volume of games they were playing, I mean, to the point where he finally broke down at the end of the season and got hurt and missed their playoff series against Colorado. He's already started... I believe 10 of their 13 games this season so far. So there's that. And then offensively, I think you're almost understating what an aberration last year was. Yeah. They'd never had a 35 goal or 90 point player in franchise history prior to last season. And then Matt Duchesne scores 43 goals. Philip Forsberg scores 42 goals. Roman Yossi hits 96 points. And you look at the shooting percentages of all those players, both on ice shooting percentage and individual, and they were through the roof. I mean, Ryan Johansson, 22%. Tanner Janot, 19.4. Duchesne and Forsberg, both just under 19. And I think maybe the thing I mistakenly glossed over in my expectations, and I was like, all right, well, they can just repeat what they did last year, was kind of expecting that to happen again, because that seems like that was probably a best-case scenario for pretty much every one of those players. Yeah, for sure. No, and, and so, like I said, like just the idea that, well, you know, they can be around the playoffs again. It's like, no, they again, they, they barely made it. And all that stuff went right for them. So the idea that you would add um, uh, McDonough and Niederreiter, both, again, both players I like, um, and go, oh, they, they can maybe even take a step. It's like, no, they can maybe get back to where they were because they added those players. Well, and, he, you know, obviously it's, it's not happening, happening for them so far. So well, here's the thing even beyond this season. They have $56 million in cap commitments for the next two years at least, so until 2025. To Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, Michael Granlin, Colton Sissons, Roman Yossi, Ryan McDonough, and Matthias Eckholm, and Kyle Turris' buyout. And all of those players are, I, th- I believe the youngest of the group is Philip Forsberg, who's 28, he turns 29 this summer. Everyone else is in their 30s already. And that that's alarming because these are obviously all players who are established and have had great careers. And you know, if they're if they were in their peak form, I'd be like, wow, this is this is a really good team. Look at all these players. And I'm still holding the door open a little bit for them to bounce back a little bit here and at least show a level of competency this season. But in terms of future outlook, I mean, where would you rank the Predators on like a league scale out of 32 teams of like? 
how optimistic you'd be about the future trajectory of this organization. I mean, it would have to be stunningly low for a team that was in the playoffs last season. Part of it is definitely, um, you know, they they have Yossi Saros, who I think is a guy who can be a consistently top eight or whatever. Yeah, he's a building block, you know. What's that? I said he's a building block. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, other than that, you know, like they they re-signed Philip Forsberg over the summer, and I was like, I get why you would. Um, but it, it's a little it's a little weird to see them do that when you know the summer before that they were like we got to trade uh, Ryan Ellis we got to trade um, Victor Arvidsson, uh, Victor Arvidsson. Yeah. and and you say why would you why would you kind of like commit to a soft rebuild and then the second you at, like fall backwards into the playoffs you're like we're all in again I. That's the thing I don't understand about this uh, about about this this process. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for me to fault them for that because he's like he's legitimately the most exciting player they've ever had in their franchise history. For sure, and he's still really good. I'm not that I would expect him to have the the you know as I said, a lot of things went right for him last year in his career season, and it was really well timed from from his bankability perspective to earn the contract he did, but. Yeah, it's it, it's tough, and they've really committed themselves as a group, and there's very, very few outs, and it's just not something that inspires much confidence from the players to the coaching staff to the management in place. Like it, it's it's pretty bleak. You don't want to be like, you know, getting too ahead of ourselves thirteen games into the season, but I think yeah. the writing seems to be kind of on the wall here, and it's it's pretty alarming. Yeah, no, like I say, I mean, I, it's. It's just a situation for me where it feels like, okay, we've decided that this is what we're going to do, and um, we're we're gonna they're they're not one of these teams, I guess, where they're like, no, we're we're going for it, and by going for it, I mean like trying to be seventh in the conference and um, and committing. It's the thing the, the Flyers did over the summer, right, where everybody's like, well, surely they're gonna like try to blow it up or something. And they were, and they said, "No, we're actually going to do the exact opposite." Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of the the same thing for me with the Predators, where it's like I don't I don't know what you see as like the ceiling here, but if you if you see it as anything other than a team that, unless they get insane goaltending, barely scrapes into the playoffs for the next three or four years, we're looking at two very different realities about this team, I guess. Yeah. Oh, if everyone pulls themselves up by the Bruce traps. Everything goes absolutely perfectly for us. We can get absolutely demolished by the Colorado Avalanche in round one. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's tough, though, right? Because if you have, like, they're above this threshold where they were good enough last season and all their players were productive enough where if they had gone completely hard in the opposite direction and just, like, we're like, all right, we're going to let Philip Forsberg walk here. We're going to try to trade everyone that's not completely strapped down and, and pretty much no one else, no one is other than UC Saros, I guess. It's, that's, that's, that's pretty tough. Like, that's something we, you know, whether it's right or wrong, and it probably is wrong, it's just something we, like, don't really see in NHL. Like, things generally have to devolve one or two or even three years past the expiry point for, for teams to kind of come to their senses and, and come to that realization. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. 
let's let's get into some of these listener questions. I've got a first one here from Mitch Trollop. He asks, what's wrong with Jonathan Huberto? Short-term struggle or something bigger at play? I did about 20 minutes on this with Kent Wilson yesterday on yesterday's PDO okay. cast where we deep-dived the Calgary Flames, so I don't necessarily want to rehash everything here, but I'm curious for for your take on Huberto and, uh, and kind of his questionable start to the season. Yeah, I mean, part of it is definitely that uh, he super, again, he kind of overperformed what everybody would. This is a good player, historically, a guy who, who does a lot of good stuff for you. And, and um, it, it seemed on paper to me as though he was the kind of guy who could really um, thrive in a Daryl Sutter coached uh, system. But I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I haven't. I guess I haven't been paying super close attention to who his line mates have been and that kind of thing. But I have to imagine it's a bit of a downgrade from what he had last year, right? So that alone can be part of it. And you know, he's not going to shoot whatever. What's he got? One goal. So he's not going to shoot five, six, seven percent, whatever he's at all year. Yep. Um. But with that having been said, like, I think a lot of people talk themselves into, well, this is a guy who can be a uh, a 100-point player. And the people include it. I guess that includes Brad Trilliffing, right? <laughs> um, where, you know, before that, he was more like, you know, he had, I think, one other 90-point season, but he was more like a 60-70 point player. And that's fine. That's a, you know, that's a good thing to be. But when you're, when you're signing yourself up to... Uh, have a guy until he's like whatever 38 years old um it's may it's maybe not the uh the best situation for, for your long-term uh cap but i think he will you know start being a little more productive i think he's just a little unlucky right yeah well it's certainly concerning he turns 30 this summer and that's when his eight-year 84 million dollar extension kicks in so yeah you're right till till 38 i mean he's got two five on five points in 11 games just six points total on the season you know justin Bourne wrote about this recently had some really interesting stats in there about the team kind of the stylistic approach that they're playing with so far where they're basically dead last in the league and pass attempts off the rush in east west passes in the offensive zone and these are all pretty much principles that the Panthers used to go Harlem Globetrotters on everyone the past couple of years in the regular season. And especially Huberto was a big part, a big driving force of that, where he fit into that playing style so well. And it's the antithesis of what they're doing right now, where it's it's everyone's like worst stereotype of Daryl Sutter hockey, where there's just been yeah. no imagination. It's like, all right, we're going to get in the offensive zone and just kind of fire the puck onto the net and get back and defend. And there's no like creativity or or trying to make stuff happen in the offensive zone. That's not really how they played last year. Certainly the top line didn't play that way. So I I have a hard time believing that this is just what they're going to be like. And for him, I mean, I I mentioned this yesterday. He he just, I do believe there's a certain element of kind of like learning to play with your new teammates, especially for a guy whose game is so predicated on, on rhythm and timing, where a lot of these fancy passes he's throwing are, behind the players or in their skates and it's like just stuff he's not used to from the guys he played with in, in Florida so I'm I'm willing as alarming as the starts been I'm willing to give him another at least 15 to 20 games here to to see if he can kind of turn it around and start looking more like the Jonathan Huberto from from the Florida years yeah I, I guess that's the I guess that's the best way to think about it right where you know it, the, the Flames' offense felt like it was always going to take a step back just because it lost Kachuk and Gaudreau, right? Like, that's 
those are two, like, maybe, you know, it's certainly within their power to be, like, MVP caliber players. And to lose them uh, is is just a a really tough blow, I think, for, for, any, for any offense, for any team. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess... I don't know. I, I guess for me, I just I just look at this and say, you know, this, this is kind of what you signed up for. Uh, the, the Flames had the best summer on on planet Earth, and it's like, no, they made the best out of a bad situation. Right. There there was always going to maybe not this many difficulties, but you know, I think I think you uh, on the balance should say that you know Huberto being a, a, a 65, 70 point player by the end of the season, I think everybody. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. That's within his power. I, I guess the timing on it is rough, right? It's like you buy a fancy new car, and it's like you take it out for a spin for the first first day, and it breaks down, and then you're like, oh, it's yeah. gonna be in the shop for the next couple of weeks, and then hopefully, uh, you know, let's revisit this in a month and see if it if it gives us the the desired effect that we had when we paid for it. And if this had happened mid season, where he has six points in eleven games, it's clearly less of an issue. But just because this is all we've seen from him in Calgary. I think it's easy to kind of talk yourself into like, oh, last year was a total aberration in the grand scheme of things, and this is going to be the new reality. And I, I wouldn't go that far by any means. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's um, it's concerning, but it's not like that concerning. Yes. Yeah. All right. It's TBD. Um, next question here from Andrea Budik asks, "What's wrong with the Avalanche at five on five this season, and what can they do to improve that besides getting healthy?" Did you know that? They played 11 games. They have 19 five-on-five goals as a team so far. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, I knew that they, you know, just looking at numbers almost every day as I do, that, uh, you know, uh, that they were not playing great. I think the thing about uh, not getting out or not being healthy, like, yeah, that's, is that their main problem? Probably not, but, you know, they're missing – well, they just lost to Larry Nachushkin the other day, but not having Bowen Byram and not having um, uh, Gabriel Land- Gabriel Landeskog hasn't been out uh, has been out all season, yep. right? And so uh, you would definitely want them to um, to get a little more offense. Obviously, you have Cal McCarr, you have Nathan McKinnon; these are like game breaking, potentially game breaking players on any given shift. Um, but I, the thing that I guess I, I took from it is, you know, they're not playing great at five on five, but they're only giving up like one and a half goals per 60. Yep. Um, and so on some level, it's like, as long as that's going well for you, what, what you know, what do you care? I can't, you know what I mean? <laughs> um I, I can't, uh, I can't get too worried about the avalanche if this, if this persists into December or even January, obviously it's a whole different story. Well, um, I'll take you a step further. Yeah, they're okay. giving up the fewest five-on-five goals against. They're also the number one power play team. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately, yes, in terms of like in a vacuum, if you looked at that type of statistical profile, you'd be like, all right, well, without assigning any names or, or a team to those numbers, you'd say – this is a bit alarming, especially for their future outlook, because as we get into later in the season and the playoffs, relying just purely on power play scoring, if you are going to be this mediocre 5-on-5 five five offense, that's probably not going to take you that far. But 
we know the players they have and that they're going to get back healthy. And I think they're kind of like a middle-of-a-pack team in terms of shot share and expected goals at 5-on-5. That is totally irrelevant to me because of the players that you mentioned. Like, they're always going to outperform that. So one one shot from Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr creating it while they're on the ice is not equivalent to one shot from insert generic team. So uh, I, I just, yeah, it's one of those. It's also, I, I do strongly believe, not that there's a Stanley Cup hangover, but there's purely a motivational thing from the perspective of they're a team that's clearly playing, taking the long view this season. Like they have no reason to be just going out there and completely going going for broke in a game in November. They're going to be trying to get ready and get all of their pieces aligned for April, May, June. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of, it, it's a boring answer to say this, but I think there's going to be some pretty generally underwhelming based on our expectations for them numbers for at least the next little bit here. And then as they get healthy and as we get closer to the playoffs, they're going to ramp up and you can question whether it's possible to kind of just flip the switch like that. But I have full expectations that come the postseason, this is going to be the scariest team in the league once again. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a totally reasonable uh, way to look at it. Like they, much like the Leafs, the, the regular season kind of doesn't matter for these guys. They're going to win far more often than they lose. Um, maybe maybe you say that's uh, that's not like the Leafs. I yeah, guess, but... two two teams with equal recent playoff uh, success, right? Right. No, but like I'm I'm just saying in terms of you yeah, know of course. the way that they're going to be looking at at regular season success or lack thereof or whatever, like. It, it, how things go, like they just need to get into the playoffs and not be like an eighth seed or something like that, which they probably won't be. And they'll, and they should be fine. Um, especially once they get everybody healthy and that sort of thing. But you know, this isn't like the, the Rangers last year where they needed that power play to be incredible because they were just getting buried when their top line was off the ice a lot of the time. Right. Um, the Avalanche don't have those kind of depth problems, and they don't, and they don't, uh, they don't need elite goaltending to be uh, a convincing, uh, you know, play, uh, Stanley Cup contender. Well, the thing so, that I was sorry, I was going to say the thing that's also gone their way is if you look around them in the Western Conference, aside from Vegas, whose grip on this is a bit tenuous because it relies so much on the continued health of Mark Stone and his back, and hopefully that carries over and he's fine and he plays all season and he plays at this level if they do have their full lineup i kind of think they're like really the only team i i guess aside from potentially if absolutely everything goes right for the oilers just from an offensive perspective but like around look around the west it really feels like who's like a real genuine threat to a completely healthy and firing on all cylinders colorado avalanche team Boston, Vegas, Carolina, like those, yeah, those are the three. Exactly. So Vegas is pretty much the only one in the West, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So as long as you stay away from seeing them early in the postseason, it's going to be not a, not a smooth ride. There's going to be some ups and downs and challenges, but the path towards repeating is, is pretty wide open for them, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. All right, Ryan, uh, we've got a couple other questions that we're going to get to, but first uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we do come back, we're going to get into some more of these listener questions. So you are listening to the Hockey PDO cast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Gaming Neocast here with Dmitry Filipovich, and I am joined by Ryan Lambert today. We are doing your listener mailbag questions. Ryan, here's an next one from, from Stuart Miller. He asks, is Carolina's style of play antiquated? I don't, I don't, I guess I don't understand the question. Um, well, here, they're one of the best teams in the league. Yes. Uh, they generate a ton of offense and they don't give up any defense or, or anything defensively, I should say. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't I mean, I, like, I don't know what we're judging this on. I think stylistically I've been, I've been talking a lot on the show about how, it is just it's not my personal cup of tea watching them play because they play like kind of this puck hunting style right where they're just their offensive game plan is to beat you over the head with volume right so they're mm-hmm. they're just going to throw the puck on net from pretty much everywhere and with no plan other than their plan that that basically being their plan of we're going to shoot the puck from every single place we get it and then we're going to bank on our ability to be incredibly annoying and relentless and active and get those pucks back and then we're going to create offense because we're just going to keep sort of inching our way closer and closer to the net through that volume but there's no um there's no sort of strategy from all right we're going to get in the offensive zone and then we're going to pass it around and go east west and try to create kind of cool actions where all of a sudden we can we can get into the slot and get a good look here it's much more of a sort of um kind of just relentless approach in terms of that. So I think that's what he means. You're not necessarily the effectiveness, but just in terms of like the way they choose to play and how different it is than most teams in the league. I see. Um, I don't know. Like it's, it's tough for me to judge. Like, I guess there are not any, or maybe not none, but very few NHL teams, I think play with that style in mind. Um, And so I don't know if that makes it antiquated. Like, so, as you uh, probably know, Dimitri, I watch a lot of college hockey, mm-hmm. right? And um, in college hockey, you, you get way more variance in how teams play. And so I see plenty of teams over the course of the season uh, that, uh, that play this kind of style, that are just trying to, like, like you say, hunt the puck and shoot from everywhere and, and that kind of thing. Um. And so to me, it, it doesn't feel antiquated, I guess, because I see plenty of coaches across the country use it. Um, but in the NHL, I guess, I don't, I don't know if, if we want to say it's like this is a style that has fallen out of fashion or this is just like a completely unique style. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's really tough to replicate because you not only need the personnel to play this way in terms of being able to actually keep up, with that pace, but also I think the coach to be just basically cracking the whip and making sure that the players keep stay as motivated as possible the way Rod Brindamore does. I the reason why it's listen, the results are uh you, you, you can't quibble with them in terms of all the metrics you cited, right? Like they take the third few third most shot attempts and they give up the fewest against their an elite offensive volume team and an elite uh, defensive team in terms of stinginess and their suppression. I do think an interesting question that you and I have talked about in the past in our playoff previews is whether there is a ceiling you bump into playing this way, which we've seen them kind of struggle with in past years, where if you run into mm. an elite goalie or a strong defensive team, 
it might not be the most sustainable strategy because it's so much tougher to kind of crack that defensive shell. And so if you're just willingly throwing the puck from the point, the other team will let you do that all day long if they have a great goalie that's not going to ever get beaten by those looks. And so like we saw last year, when you bump into Igor Shosturkin, I understand there's very few Igor Shosturkins out there. The past few years, they bumped into him, Andre Vasilevsky, but that's kind of the path you have to take to to get out of the East. If you bump into those guys and you're taking such inefficient low percentage shots, it's going to be tough for you to win that out of four times out of seven. And so that's kind of what they bumped into. And so I don't know if they're having so much success in the regular season playing this way and they win so many games that I don't think you can all of a sudden allow these short-term playoff results to totally change your strategy and your formula. But I do think it's kind of a lingering question for this team of whether they have enough creativity and offensive skill to break through against the truly elite defensive teams. Sure. And I, I think that's a, a totally fair um, like way, way to frame their, their playoff problems, right. Of just like, you know, how many, how many uh, times are you going to have to play an elite goalie in the playoffs? Almost every time. Right. But, it you know, it's like with the, the capitals or, or whatever, where it's like it only needs to work once. And then it's like, well, we figured it out. It's not a problem anymore. Right. You know, and. Um, I don't know, I, for, for me, like, do I think they're. Um, like the the team that's, you know, I'm totally convinced that everything's going to go great, great for them in, in the playoffs one day. Maybe not because I don't think that they have the the high skill threshold um, that like as much as they have very good players on their roster like Svechnikov and Ajo and and even Martin Natchez is having a great start to the season. Um, for me, I kind of I look at it and say you know um, it's it's just a tricky situation for for Rod Brindamore to be like, oh, we should be focused on generating high high danger chances all, all the time and blah, 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 because they don't necessarily have the guys who can do that single-handedly. And so if you're going to go through your whole lineup and say, well, we don't have like a lot of elite talent, but we have a bunch of very good players. Like I think that strategy, like his strategy kind of makes more sense. Right. You know, like if they had a Nathan McKinnon, maybe they wouldn't be playing that way but they don't so this is where they're at you know what i mean oh definitely and also yeah and also they're they're riding it to great success right like they fall in the regular season, season which but is all you can do as a coach really absolutely yeah so i i, I yeah i don't mean to come off sounding like too critical of them because it's a really good team that's objectively getting awesome results out of it but it just I see them talked about as like, oh, this, this, this fun Hurricanes team that plays so fast and, and all this stuff. And it's like, I, I don't, yeah, I just personally don't really enjoy watching their games that much. It's like, it's it's almost, it's a point of diminishing returns in terms of the, its chaotic nature where I like chaotic games and when things are free-flowing and stuff. But for them, like, I, I like a bit more sort of, um, a bit more of an offensive design in terms of when you get an offensive zone, what you're actually trying to accomplish as opposed to kind of just throwing everything up against the wall and seeing what sticks. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, like I say, like I, I see so like a, a truly like large amount of this in college hockey that I feel like you don't. Um, well, why do you think that really is? Is it because in... you're just generally like the talent discrepancies between teams is going to be so massive? That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, so again, like to circle back to the, what the actual question was, like, is this antiquated? I think it's to your point about, uh, uh, 
talent discrepancies. I think the the Hurricanes do kind of have a clear talent discrepancy between what they have at the top of their roster and what other elite teams in the East have at the top of their roster. And so for for them to say, well, we're going to we're going to have to play maybe a different way to to get the same results over the course of an 82 game season. It's clearly working for them. So as much as it may be like unesthetic to you, to you or other people or whatever, like I don't know that Rob Rindemore has like a ton of other options. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm mean, like, <laughs> it was so funny in hindsight watching them go up against the Rangers in that series where they were just sort of such polar opposites in terms of yeah. that efficiency and strategy. And it's like the Hurricanes can take ten shots, and then the <laughs> the Rangers just come in once and and get one supremely high quality chance and and have the players to to convert it and if you're the hurricanes yep. you're just looking at them and being like oh man that's that's really annoying we work just so hard and they just come in and just score that easily yeah um okay here's a question from peter i was looking for a last name but it just says peter on twitter um what do you think bill Guerin will do with matt dumba's expiring contract now the last time i had you on which was about three weeks ago now we did a big section on the Minnesota Wild, and at the time, their the number of goals they were giving up against was just out of this world. And yeah. re, re, like we expected, they're going to start getting better performance. Mark Andre Fleury will probably regress a little bit. They'll be fine. That's happened. I, I I'm, I'm kind of curious for your take now in terms of where this team's at, sort of, and how you balance the idea that you have this player who has been with the organization for this long, has been a valuable contributor but now is an impending UFA and at this point of his career and with his reasonable, with what his expected price tag, there's almost no chance that Matt Dumba's on the Minnesota wild next year. Right. So how do you, do you just kind of go for it this year and, and play, play out the string on the contract and then deal with the consequences in the summer? Do you try to get out ahead of it, acknowledging that he's a right shot defenseman and those are pretty premium assets around the league and you could probably get a nice return and maybe even a player who can sort of help you, this year while also being on your team at a cost-controlled price next year? What would you do if you were Bill Guerin, or what are you expecting to do? Um, I, I kind of – like, I think Bill Guerin is one of the G, the few GMs in the league who's, like, not afraid to do something that is uh, a little out there in terms of what his peers would do, right? Like, he's he's not afraid to, to get a little uh, crazy with it and, and try to – make things work um, that other other GMs just kind of wouldn't do. And I think that does include uh, trading Matt Dumba. Uh, I wrote um, something earlier today, and I, I was looking at stats about the Wild. Uh, 21st in goals per 60 in all situation and 29th at 5-on-5. Five five. So to me, the answer is you trade Matt Dumba for offensive help. Hmm. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just not working for them. Right. Yeah, maybe we underrated the impact of just losing Kevin Fiala and not really replacing him with have on this team. Yeah, I mean, I think they thought, you know, I think at least I thought that Marco Rossi would could be like a kind of, a, you know, discount store Kevin Fiala, but it, it, does, it doesn't seem like it's really worked out that way, even though he's personally, like, playing okay, but like, uh, 25th and 5-on-5 expected goals for. Like, they're, they're just a team that... Um, they don't generate a lot of offense. It's re- it really is that simple, and they need to uh, they need to tighten it up a little. Well, I was gonna. I think last I saw a stat 
they finally kind of broke through and, and beat the Anaheim Ducks. Although if you if you're not scoring five goals on the Anaheim Ducks these days, you have really big right. issues. Um, yeah. Halfway through that game, or at some point in the first period, or whatever, they broke like a hundred and sixty minute scoreless streak. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, what? What is going on here? It's it's wild because at the start of the year they were giving up so many goals, but part of my thinking beyond just the natural regression in it was. Well, they're also scoring a lot of goals, and especially on the power play, like you've got Kaprizov and Zuccarello flinging the puck around and doing cool stuff. I think they'll be fine. And then the offense just completely dried up over the past week or so. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's going to skew things downward, but like they're they're scoring under two goals per sixty at five on five. Yeah, that that so that's not just a like granted like it's sample sizes or whatever so maybe getting shut out for two games in a row will hurt you but like even when even before that it wasn't like they were playing unbelievably well offensively right so if i again if i'm looking at what bill Guerin might do and if he isn't afraid to to kind of step up and, and gamble a little bit or whatever um i i can totally see him trading matt dumba for for a forward who can actually put the puck in yep Jeff Gaffney asks, what's up with the Blues? Did they just regress to where they should be? Um, I, I feel like I need to do like a full Blues deep dive on just devote an entire episode to this because like what's going on with them this season is just seems crazy. I mean, the most recent game they played against the Philadelphia Flyers was just completely embarrassing. And I can't even remember the last time they won a game. Um, I, I, I really don't know what to make of this group because you look and objectively like – their top players are not performing like their top players. And also they've been pretty unlucky. And so they'll start scoring more, but man, the, the, I think the bigger issue for me is a more predictable one, which was you look at this blue line and what they're giving up in front of their goalies. And it's just, it's not nearly good enough. Like they need to be the type of supremely efficient elite offense that they were last year just to get by. And they haven't had that this year. And so the result is, getting smoked 5-1 or whatever by the Philadelphia Flyers. Right. Um, so a, cu- a couple of things. We talked about this briefly on, on my podcast yesterday, but this is a team that they had the highest all situations uh, shooting percentage of the team last year. Yep. Um, in like, you know, since they started doing advanced stats in 2007-08. No team played a full season and had a higher shooting percentage than last year's Blues. So that's, that's issue number one, right? The idea last year, I guess, was that, you know, like you said, highly efficient. They came down the ice, they shot the puck, it went in the net. Yep. It was, that, it was really that simple. They were scoring a lot on the rush, and, and, and they, were, they had a very um, effective power play. Yep. And uh, now the puck, they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're actually a little below the league average in terms of team shooting percentage. Um. But also, like you say, like all their defensemen are kind of a little bit worse. Um, and they didn't, I, I thought they didn't have a particularly good blue line last season, yeah. right? Like, as much as they have a couple of players I like, I didn't look at that and, and say, oh, yeah, this, this can be a, a really effective blue line for like a team that can go deep in the playoffs or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I look at that and I look at the stuff that you just said about like uh, their, their top players aren't scoring. Like, you know, Pavel Buchnevich has has one goal, and and Ryan O'Reilly has two points, and Jordan Cairo has four points. You know, like these are the guys that you would expect could could drive the offense. And what, I, I guess the easiest way to put this is uh, J- 
Justin Falk um, uh, leads their team in scoring. Right now. And he's a defenseman. And he's not even a particularly good defenseman. Ah, he's fine. He's fine. He's. I said particularly. Right. He's fine. You're yeah, right. he shouldn't be leading your team um, in scoring. No, no, no. Um, the other thing, obviously, is that uh, they have sub-900 team goals. Yeah, but I think part of that is, I mean, you, you, their GM had a like a media availability or a press conference or whatever, right? I feel like, and I actually watched it on YouTube. It was basically a podcast. Like he just stood there for twenty five minutes and just talked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is he's uh, he's stepping on our turf here. He's just uh, I'm sorry, just podcasting. Um, but, but, but he made this point of like, if you look at the goals they're giving up. A lot of it is just like blown coverages in the defensive zone. It's like ta- easy tap-ins, sure. right? And it's very easy to make fun of Jordan Bennington, and 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 his behavior sometimes is very clownish in terms of just like being a baby and trying to start fights and yeah, all that. So I, I get that, but you you watch it, and it's like man, this is a pretty bleak defensive environment in terms of like just what they're giving up. And so yeah, whenever you have sub nine hundred goaltending, it's going to be tough to overcome. I think there's much kind of bigger issues in terms of the personnel offensively I'm 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 so sad to be seeing this because I really thought last year they had stumbled upon something that like was almost redefining hockey in the modern game where yeah like sure. I, didn't ex- I didn't expect them to have the best shooting percentage ever but you looked at the way they were passing the puck in the offensive zone and I was like it's clear that th- this isn't just a total fluke right like they're seeking out the, they're going from good to great shots whenever they can, and they just haven't been able to execute that game plan this year. I, I think yeah. not having David Perron, who was one of the few like guys who would just freely let it rip, especially on the power play, is tough because they still have a lot of good passers, but they're not really finishing. Um, yeah. So maybe I think they kind of underestimated the impact of losing him, or I underestimated the impact of losing him. But yeah, you, you'd have to think that eventually they're going to start scoring more goals, but at this point, it, it the, the, the season's pretty quickly going off the rails for them i was gonna say like at, at what point do you say the horse is out of the barn when you when you've lost eight in a row and in, in that in that division where it seems like you know um you, you can you, it looks like you can probably pencil in uh, colorado and minnesota at the top of that division um and dallas obviously and then you know winnipeg is currently leading that division i don't think anybody thinks they're like a, a world beating team yeah. you know in in the, in a final analysis or whatever, but you know, they're 11 points back of, of Winnipeg right now. And so if Winnipeg ends up being the fourth place team in the central division, that's a huge gap to make up. Um, you know, we're, we're well past the November 1st, three points out cutoff and they're not even close to that. So, you know, it, it's really tough for them, but you know, the, the thing you, you said about, um, you know, be, oh, maybe maybe they were redefining hockey or whatever. How many teams that had a high shooting percentage did we say that about over the years? Or did somebody say that about over the years, right? Yeah. At some point, you know, I, I think, for me anyway, I, I sit there and any time I hear like, oh, they, they've cracked it. They, they, they know how to drive shot quality in a way nobody's ever figured out. And it's like, yeah, I don't think they have. Well, I, I think there's a difference between like year over year and in season. Not that necessarily teams were like going into the lab being like, how can we slow down the St. Louis Blues this this coming season? But like, it's pretty clear that last year, I mean, they were, I think it's fair to say they were the team that gave the Avalanche the most trouble in the playoffs, right? Sure. 
um yeah i thought they were i thought they'd stumble upon something i i, I i'm disappointed now we've mentioned kind of matt down by what you do with uh, a player you're probably not going to retain they've got ryan o'reilly impending ufa vlad tarasenko impending ufa yeah. ivan barbashev i mean if the season keeps going this way i think it's good for us in the content business because speaking of gms who aren't afraid to to kind of pull the plug like we've seen them in the past when they realized they weren't good move players and get stuff for sure. back for them and I'm, I'm really curious to see if the season goes down that path whether they get feisty and whether they kind of just call call it for this season and try to get back futures and i imagine they'd get quite a bit especially if they're retaining salary on those on those guys yeah i mean i'm, I'm always in favor of of a team pulling the shoot as soon as possible and i've, I've said it a million times already this season if there was ever a season to pull the shoot as soon as possible, this is the one. The right. top three picks are going to likely be like franchise-defining players, right? And so if you can just get yourself into a position where you're getting a top three pick, then then anybody you traded was worth it. And, and frankly, with, with this team in particular, I, I look at this roster and I go, eh, they could use a little bit of a reset here where, you know, like, Kyru and Thomas are like 24 years old and, and um, o, o, whereas, you know, O'Reilly and Tarasenko and, and uh, there, there are a lot of older guys on this team as well yep. that they would, I think, you know, it, it wouldn't really hurt them that much to move on from those guys as much as, you know, emotionally those guys won you a Stanley Cup and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to, if you're going to be brave about making transactions, like now's the time to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, we had a bunch of other questions, but we're uh, we're running out of time here, so I think we're gonna we're gonna pull the plug on on, on today's episode and uh, and call it here. Um, Ryan, absolute treat as always to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time from uh, from your busy schedule. I know you've got about fifty seven different podcast recordings this week, so <laughs> no kidding. I appreciate you uh, you taking the time. I'll let you I'll let you plug some stuff. Plug some of those. Uh, plug the show you do and and uh, where you write and all that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Puck Soup is the podcast. You can find that on any podcast platform you want. Um, this week we talked about, well, coaches on the hot seat. and we, That's why we talked about the Blues uh, at, at some length uh, yesterday and a bunch of other coaches too because it's, it's been a weird year in the NHL. Um, and then, of course, uh, I write for uh, ET Rinkside. That's mm-hmm. where you can find all my columns. I, have, I had one yesterday. I have one going up either later tonight or tomorrow. Um, and then I also have another one tomorrow, and I have one on Monday. So, it, it, like you said, busy week for me. Um, but that's where you can find all my writing. Well, I'm also writing at EP Ringside, a great site. What? Features Is that true? Incredible wow. writers. Um, let's let's tell the listeners. So, like, first off, I think I highly recommend everyone signs up for the premium version to get access to all this work because I, I, I believe in, in the writers we have so much, like, People like Mitch Brown and David St. Louis are, are so underrated in terms of the content they're creating. Like, I feel like their type of analysis, the video work they do, especially on young players, we as as NHL fans don't get to see every day playing at lower levels and all that is is remarkable and everyone should be checking that out. But we also acknowledge that there's a lot of things to sign up for and maybe it's not feasible for some people to be to be paying for the premium account right now, which is why if you also just sign up for a free account, you still get access to a bunch of cool content, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, m- multiple uh, columns I write every week are uh, free if you have an EP rank side. Just uh, you know, basic. Free- oh, 
love it. Well, my first piece of the season just went up about John Marino, who I've talked about on this podcast a bunch. And I'm going to have something up there uh, every Thursday morning the rest of the way. So uh, join us there. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, go smash that five-star button on the podcast platform you listen to us on. And we'll be back tomorrow with more here on the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.